Welcome into episode 13 of the Sources Say Podcast, a brand new addition to the growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Happy to be joined once again by two of the best up-and-coming recruiting insiders in the game, Travis Graff and David Sisk of Cats Illustrated. First off, Travis, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. Um, last night was a night of a com- the complete 180 you were at the lowest of lows right before the game then you were at the highest of highs right after the game so yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely and david what's new with you man well we're going to find out here in the, in the next hour and i hope to find out from you guys what's new <laughs> that's good awesome well uh great to hear appreciate you both joining us again and uh adjusting the ksr's pretty hectic schedule uh um, I don't know if either of you two listened to the KSR football podcast, but um, there was definitely some some major issues with podcast equipment issues with that. Um, kind of, they had to reschedule their pod. Usually, they record on Wednesday nights. They had to reschedule to. They had JoJo Camp, JD Harmon, uh, Charles Walker, Awesome McGinnis all on all on the show. So to to adjust to their schedules, they had to move theirs to Tuesday night which then pushed us to Wednesday night. Um, and at the time, we didn't know Kate Cunningham was going to decide. So thank goodness, you know, that, that would have sucked if we got through a whole podcast and then, you know, kind of a, a Champions Classic preview of sorts. And then by the end of it, Cade commits to Oklahoma State and we're like, oh, well, we got to throw this away. So uh, I appreciate you both adjusting to adjusting the times and, and uh, getting this thing rolling tonight. Um, and before we get into the obvious with, with Cade's commitment, on Tuesday night to Oklahoma State, uh, and along with everything else we have planned for the show, I have to give a quick shout-out to our friends at BBN Vegas once again. The Big Blue Nation takes over Las Vegas this December when Kentucky basketball hits Sin City. The action tips off with Kentucky vs. Utah, presented by UK Healthcare and benefiting coaches vs. cancer on Wednesday, December 18th at T-Mobile Arena. Then BBN will have the opportunity to Go hit the links at the world-renowned Shadow Creek Golf Course on Friday, December 20th as part of as part of Golf Blue benefiting coaches versus cancer. The Cats then play in the CBS Sports Classic on Saturday, December 21st against Ohio State. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time. Visit BBNVegas.com. Follow them on social media at BBN Las Vegas for full information, game tickets, hotel accommodations on the Las Vegas Strip. You name it, they have it for you. Go check them out. Um, now... First things first, we gotta rip the band-aid off and go all in on and go all in on this Kate Cunningham decision last last night um, on Tuesday evening. The the nation's number two prospect abruptly announced his commitment to Oklahoma State, choosing to play for his brother in Stillwater over offers from Kentucky, North Carolina, Washington, and Florida. Uh, Travis, we had a a private text message thread going on when he sent out his uh stay tuned 15 minutes posts on social media um all three of us kind of came to the consensus that an abrupt decision like that was likely not good news uh talk uh, there's something specific that you said leading up to and i want you to tell the fans what you were what you were thinking as this was was all going on talk me through uh your thoughts leading up to the announcement well, I'd sent you all I, – I hadn't felt good about it right after he announced the uh, the tune in in 15 minutes. I was like, oh, man, I'm about to puke. I'm going to throw <laughs> up. Um, the reason was, being was because, like I said, I'm not going to change my prediction unless I hear information coming to me. 
and I hadn't heard information at all since a couple weeks ago, like right after his visit. So whenever his camp went quiet and there was nothing leaking anywhere, I was like, this is not good. I, I had a bad feeling about it, but like I said, I'm not going to change my prediction just based on gut feeling. I wanted to have something concrete, but I just knew whenever he said 15 minutes, I was like, oh, damn it. Yeah, and, like, and what, this one. what's crazy is we had actually talked in the past. I don't. I, we might have said it on the show, but at least privately, we had talked about there were actually rumors of Cade wanting to announce leading up to the Champions Classic when when the Kentucky rumors were kind of running rampant. The there were a lot of rumors out that Cade was actually interested in 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 committing to Kentucky prior to the game in, in the hours leading up to the game. And kind of giving giving fans and and I guess all the ESPN analysts and, and commentators something more to talk about, you know, kind of giving him him an even larger spotlight. Uh, I know he had he had mentioned he'd flirted with that Duncanville uh, event in in late November, but you know that's that's his own local crowd. But man, to to be able to commit to Kentucky. Um, on on a national stage like the Champions Classic and all that, in an ideal world, that would have been awesome. But instead, we got the commitment, but it just definitely was not the school that uh, Kentucky fans were hoping to, hoping it would be. Now, David, you've always been the most hesitant, I'd say, um, of this group throughout this entire process. Kind of watching your, you know, being careful with your words and and not necessarily going all in with the hype, no matter which school he was, he was at, you definitely been more cautious uh, than a lot of the national guys. I'd, I'd say, um, and even me specifically, Travis, Travis to an extent as well. But um, what were your thoughts on what ended up being the final timeline with all of this? Um, I just think in the end, I think the blood thicker than water part and, and really that's all it could have been. Um, I still think even with a recent commitment they had, and let's say they get a JT4, I mean, it's not going to match anything close to what Kentucky had and what Kentucky can offer. And, you know, you're talking about being the, you know, in such an elite situation. And I, you know, last night should have been a great recruiting tool that, you know, when you're talking Michigan State, Kentucky, Duke, and, and, and uh, uh, Kansas to play in, in a situation like that, national TV, um, there's just so much there to offer. So, you know, there's no doubt. And like I said, I, I there's a lot of things about this recruitment I don't know, but it it becomes really pretty apparent that uh, the, the family tie, the brother on the coaching staff, it just uh, overshadowed anything else. And uh, I think at the end, you know, that was a tipping point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's – you bring up a a very good point with the uh, the blood is thicker than water with his actual announcement itself. Uh, with, with when Travis, this brings up a my next point. Um, I have to ask you. In in his commitment video, the background music was uh, the the Drake song "Scholarships," where he says very famously, "And I rock Kentucky blue." countless UK commits over the last you know several years I think both football and basketball have used this song uh, kind of in their own commitment videos to 
announced that they were going to play at Kentucky. And uh, he used this song and ended up announcing that he was going elsewhere. Do you think, you know, there, there are a lot of fans out there thinking that it was a troll, uh, a little bit of a troll job by Cunningham. Would you, do you think, do you think there's a little bit of a troll aspect to it? Uh, I mean, I, I guess you could, I guess it would be easy to see that between that and uh, Mike Boynton's video that he put out with Cannon today, uh, them playing chess, and it was check, checkmate because of the stuff that's been going around about all Calipari's playing uh, chess and everybody else is playing checkers. So I could see it definitely being a fabricated um, just troll job, but I I just want to know what happened where Calipari missed his donor uh, – his donor meeting to meet with Cade's family down in Florida and where the disconnect happened or was like that, like, was that them being like, all right, we're about to commit to Oklahoma state. And he's like, all right, give me one last ditch effort and then flew down there. Yeah. I mean, that's a very valid question. I mean, there were, there was speculation that that visit was sparked by Cade's side, not Kentucky side. And I know how you just describe it could kind of, it kind of it, that could kind of be initiated by both, kind of saying, "Hey, I think we're ready to make this commitment to OK State. Do you want a final last ditch effort?" Or if it was Kentucky saying, "No, no, no, let's let's make this happen." Or if this was flat out initiated by uh, flat out initiated by Cade's family and, and his father, that as the, as the rumor had it, um, yeah, very very interesting, you know. The silence over the last couple weeks has been the thing that was definitely the most frustrating because, you know, we were we were able to get in. I think all three of us had some pretty pretty solid contacts and pretty solid sources w- within his camp and and those close to it. You know, down in uh, down in Texas where he's originally from, the Montverde program, um, and you know, Travis, I know you'd been pretty conf- pretty comfortable with some people in the Oklahoma State side of things. Uh, David, you said that you had some North Carolina buzz and and all of that, but. It's just it's just so crazy how about two weeks ago, you know, I, I was told a, a few weeks back, you know, I think it was mid to late October after the Washington visit, um, someone cl- someone close to Cade's recruitment said that it was, you know, told me that it was decision time that th- that their camp was ready to sit down and, and sort things out and kind of come to a decision, um, and then from there it just it, it went completely silent. I mean, the same people that I, that I was talking to in the past just what you know they weren't responding. They they just went completely silent. Um, you know, just I mean, the mouths were literally sealed across the board. Getting getting Kate information was was next to have impossible. Have you guys heard? Have you guys heard? And I, I heard this last night after the fact, and I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I, I was told that that they that this individual thought that talks the last couple of days. Uh, between Kentucky and Kate had kind of broken off. And either one of you guys, and like I said, this was after the fact because I'm not, so I'm not coming here saying, well, I heard this before it happened and I had this this uh, source or whatever because I didn't. And this was after the fact. But have either one of you heard that? I had not heard that. Yeah, I, I hadn't either. But I mean, it, it does make sense. I mean, considering the decision making process was 100 i mean it's been going on for 2 weeks now and i mean we've talked in the in the past about Kentucky's chances and how they they had solidified itself as as kind of the 1A 1B program with with Oklahoma State and how all the other schools kind of had fallen out 
um, even even following you know the supposed impressive impressive visits at Washington and and Florida, um, it it was it was pretty pretty funny how after the North Carolina visit thing even leading up to that things kind of went in in North Carolina's favor, but they dropped off rather immediate. Um, but following the Florida and Washington visit, there was almost little to no buzz at all. But that Kentucky buzz stuck around for so long. You know, the follow-up visit from from Cal and and the visit leading up to his official visit from Cal. Um, I mean, th- there's no doubt in my mind that that Cal didn't Cal and his staff did not lose this out of an, out of an effort standpoint. I mean, they worked their tail off. But I mean, David, it's a you bring up a great point. I mean, if if they caught wind that this thing was over and and talks died out, I mean that that it really wouldn't shock me. Um, just you know, they they obviously know more than than we do, and and they were able to get uh, in in Cade's inner circle, obviously, while while we weren't. So yeah, it's just a very frustrating last it's, couple of weeks. It's like sure. that old country song. I wish I didn't know now. I didn't know then. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, there's two things. You, you know, because you hear. You hear so many things. Like I said, I heard so much both ways. and But you hear afterwards when you know what, what happens. We, we, we've got the, you know, the final verdict. And I think all of us probably did this, all three, and go back and say, okay, what did I hear that really turned out probably to be right and carry some weight mm-hmm. that maybe I should have paid attention to more? There were two things. Uh, one – and I said this on here that JT Thor's brother, uh, I had talked to him and he told me, I said, you know, what are you hearing from him? And he said, look, you know, I'm, I'm really tight with Kane and Cunningham because, you know, people think now that's where he's going to go if he does go to college. And he told me a couple of weeks ago, he says, Kanan tells me that uh, these visits are just, it's basically something to kill time. Just take them to be taking them. He's, you know, he's, going to be here he's going to be at, at Oklahoma State and the other thing and it, it, like I said it, it, the one thing that really didn't make sense though and all that was you know that it was kind of I still think it kind of hurt the recruit recruiting class by him not committing early mm-hmm. uh, because I, I think they let some players slip through their hands so I don't know how smart they played it but I do think him saying that that it was a troll job, I, I do believe that. And the other thing uh, that I heard, and um, uh, you know, Eric Bossy had told me that uh, you know that he had basically told the staff they had been recruiting a kid for two years, and basically said, "Hey, you don't need to recruit him. You need to recruit this guy instead." And they basically went with a new recruit over one that they'd been working on for two years and were probably going to get. So he was kind of calling the shots on who he wanted to play with. And the staff kind of fell in line and did what he wanted to do. So, you know, he he felt like that was a, a dead giveaway. There's something I didn't see at the time, and I don't know how much attention I paid to, but I think that was enough right there to just – when I go back and think about it, those two things, yeah, he was going to go to Oklahoma State all along, and I think he did throw Kentucky fans with, with uh, you know, that social media post. Yeah, and that's a – Another thing that uh, – on this, and um, what you were saying about the Oklahoma State staff, what uh, Cannon was telling JT Thor's brother, it wouldn't surprise me if – 
because I I'd heard secondhand that Oklahoma State staff like wasn't confident and was saying that uh, North Carolina led or at one point UK led at one point. It wouldn't surprise me if all that was fabricated and possibly somebody on their staff. I don't know who they were talking to on staff, but someone on their staff. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Was just spreading that stuff to help Cade get recruited, help him get some clout before announcing for Oklahoma State. Yeah, but okay, what is that? What is that clout worth if the players he's playing with now that he's going to be playing with at Oklahoma State are not going to be helping him reach the goal that he has said over and over again that he wanted? Like he said back in back in the. I mean, back in the the early spring, I guess late spring when when the EYBL season started, um, w- when he first kind of started talking with the media at, at uh, the EYBL event, and I think it was Atlanta was the first one. He said that he wanted to go somewhere that he could play for a national championship, and that he wanted to go somewhere where he could kind of pick and choose where who who was going to join him at said school. And that talk has has only ramped up since then. And I mean, if you think of some of the other big name targets that that they could have had. I mean, Isaiah Todd was kind of the big one. There was a time that, that I think Isaiah Todd was getting crystal ball picks to Oklahoma state. And I remember I asked, I asked Isaiah Todd at peach jam. And I said, when those talks were kind of going, going crazy, uh, Hey, have, have, has Kate Cunningham kind of been in talk, uh, contact with you about potentially going to Oklahoma state together? And he said, nah, man, we haven't, you know, I'm very interested in Oklahoma state, but he hasn't talked to me once. Like it's like, it's, it's kind of like, okay, if, if you could have had a top 10 player and I know, uh, Bryce Thompson after Kate's commitment yesterday said, Ooh, that changes things after everybody and their mother knows pretty much that he's going to go to Kansas. He said that, uh, that changes things and maybe he'll end up at, at, Oklahoma State now, but still, like, yes, Bryce Thompson would be the highlight player that he could play with at Oklahoma State. JT Thor's not moving the needle. Uh, you know the the other the other guys that they have committed right now, Rondell Walker. Yeah, Rondell Walker. What was he? What ninety one overall? I mean, that's not moving any needle whatsoever if he wants to win a championship. And knowing his well, competitive got, spirit, look, like at the end of the day, you have to take a kid at his word. Yeah, and I mean, clearly the national title. Uh, for a championship, all that stuff, um, all that talk is just smoke. It was just a bunch of BS at the end of the day because, I mean, you can, I will never fault a kid for going to play and help his brother out. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Oklahoma Absolutely. State is not the place to even remotely touch those goals. Even with Cade, they're looking at a bubble team right now with the current roster makeup because JT Thor is the definition of a project if he goes to college. Yeah, I've never been a fan of his. Uh, Rondell Walker – isn't a blue chip and I mean, Cade's Cade, but Cade can only do so much. Yeah. And they're going to be double and triple team in him knowing, okay. Yeah. Rondo Walker's a great shooter. Like, okay, sure. But is he a guy that you're going to, like, he is a, a kind of guy that you'll risk leaving open or lightly guarding to compensate for, for Cade and, and, and trying to over, overmatch against him. Like it, it just, it just, doesn't make sense based on what he said, and and I know we had we had all heard that that Kate is the kind of guy that you know listen listen closely what he says and 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 all that and shoot maybe that ended up all being bogus anyway. But it's it's frustrating. It is. I'm I'm not gonna lie to you guys. It's it's um, when when things. It, it, I 
I'm not completely new to the recruiting stuff, but you know, I I was I was in this with the Jaden McDaniel stuff and all that. So when you get recruitments that that completely get shut out and, and they they go silent and all that, you keep pr- trying to pry and pry and pry, and when you n- aren't able to get anything like I like it seems like none of us have been able to over the last you know week or two it it, it does get it is pretty frustrating and it's uh I'm as much as I wish that he ended up at Kentucky and I think it would have been an awesome you know the team they could have had at Kentucky uh would have just been absolutely phenomenal I there is a sense of relief like man I'm, I'm glad I'm glad all those those phone calls and texts and DMs and all that stuff. Like it, I'm gl- I'm relieved that I don't have to uh, be talking to a brick wall over the uh, moving forward. And, it, and it's also a huge positive too that at the end of the day, Cal Perry has asked you locked up for 2020. Uh, I think we're all in belief that he'll be joining next year's class, and that allowed him to give him liberty to go balls to the wall recruiting Cade Cunningham, hoping to make a super team. Because Cade would have taken next year's team from a great team to uh, just a freak show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That that is a phenomenal point, and I think that is the that is the overall takeaway that that Kentucky fans need need to know. There, there were some fans uh, when I, I tweeted out Cade has committed to Oklahoma State. There were some people that responded and and kind of said, "Well." We know Calipari's never going to put that much work into a recruit ever again, and it's like, uh, okay, yes, to an extent, the, you know Calipari is extremely frustrated that this did not go his way after all the miles and and money and resources that he put into this recruitment in terms of just traveling and you know staying overnight wherever he's gone and you know whatever uh, the the hours that he spent watching him at e- EYBL events and all that stuff. I mean, the, yes, there is a sense of frustration, but fans need to realize that the only reason why he felt comfortable going all in on this is because he had Devin Askew in his back pocket. He literally got that commitment and said, all right, I have my top tw- I have my top point guard in the class of 2020 in my back pocket. I know I can get him reclassified to 2020 no matter what, you, you know, no, no matter what they're saying publicly. I mean, the, the general sense right now is he is a lock for 2020. Um, he knew – Okay, I have this locked up. He is the number one point guard in the class of 2021. I have him locked up, guaranteed to run the show next year, no matter what. So there is a transcendent type player that's available. Well, available, so he says. So he can. So he had the flexibility to go. You know what? I'm gonna give this all I have. I'm gonna go all in on this and see. Maybe I can I, I can prove that the, the the blood's thicker thicker than water thing may not end up being the the most truthful uh, scenario with this specific recruitment and you know it it didn't pay off in the end he ended up committing to Oklahoma State he even said uh, I was this close to going somewhere else in his announcement video which was kind of frustrating and definitely stung a little bit but uh, Calipari had the flexibility and I don't. It, he might have lost a little bit of sleep the very first night, but knowing that you have Devin Askew, who is a a phenomenal basketball player, I I've been on this podcast several times and talked about how high I am on on Askew's game and and his ability. I do think Kentucky can win a national championship with Devin Askew leading the way. I am one, I am very very confident in that being the case, especially with Terrence Clark and BJ Boston. Cade Cunningham was always going to be the icing on the cake as long as they got Devin Askew. Now, if they hadn't gotten Devin Askew and and Cade would Cade was playing these games and and they ended up missing out on both, that's when things would have gotten pretty difficult. But with with Devin, uh, 
Do you remember, David, do you remember uh, the Brandon Wright recruitment at all? Uh, I knew Brandon more from being in the Nashville area. uh, And I I don't, just kind of going back to to the details of it, I really don't. Uh, Because it's like everybody wants to talk about how Kyle Perry shouldn't have put all of his eggs in one basket with Cade. But he had already had Devin Askew locked up. And the polar, what they're thinking of is, did he get burnt? Like, Tubby got burnt bad with Brandon Wright and missed out on a bunch of power forward prospects because he put all of his eggs in Brandon Wright's right. basket. And was like, Brandon Wright was supposed to go to Kentucky for forever and then ended up going to North Carolina. Cal uh, Perry did not get caught with his pants down in this situation like Tubby did. Yeah. I No, I, he, he didn't. Uh... I mean, okay, you didn't get a player. You think about, okay, what else did you lose from it? You really didn't lose anything. And and I think you two have done a great job of staying out front of this Devin Askew thing because, I, I, you know, even through all this, you know, you guys have, have, have you've been there and you've been saying, hey, it looks more and more likely like a reclass. And, you know, you've been at the front of the line on, on really giving out information. But – one thing I go back to, we know it's a good recruiting class, but I go back to um, Terrence Clark. Uh, this is the highest-rated guard that John Calipari's got a commitment from the decade. Yeah. And I think we we lose track sometimes and think like everything's the worst-case scenario. It's really not. You've got the number two recruiting class in the country right now. You know, people were saying, when's he ever going to get another top-five player? Well, he got another top five player in Terrence Clark. So, uh, you know, when you throw uh, B.J. Boston in there, who is already getting a, a, a lot of, of talk about some mock drafts, you know, down the line. And, and you know, this is this is a really good group. We, we know, like you say, Cade Cunningham could probably take it to another level. But if you look at this backcourt that they've got coming in, Man, there's not any gaps there. It's an outstanding backcourt. And, uh, you know, I guess the thing we look at, we'd like to see them adds really an, another big quality big. But as far as guards, you know, which Cade Cunningham is, you know, he would that would have just been icing on the cake. And, and uh, like you say, the cake looks pretty good right now, even without it. Yeah, you bring up a – you bring up a, a fan – you bring up a fantastic point with the with the Terrence Clark and BJ Boston thing, and I, I tried to I tried to push that point home on this podcast whenever those commit those commitments were coming and all that, and, and it, it's almost not fair because those those commitments and, and recruitments were were so little buzz and and stress because those were both you know Kentucky very quickly became the runaway favorite in both of those commitments, and you kind of. Lose that the suspense that we had with this Cade Cunningham commitment because of you know how how big of a player he is and all that. At the same at the end of the day, Terrence Clark is the number four player in the country versus Cade Cunningham being the number two player in the country. Like Terrence Clark is, I you know I don't think he's as good as as Cade Cunningham, but he is on that same elite tier as Cade Cunningham. And fans are, are so quick to go, oh, man, we lost out on Cade. You know, this is heartbreaking for the program and all that. It's like, no, like Terrence Clark, the hype the hype has kind of died down a bit because it, his recruitment was so cut and dry. But, yeah, David, you bring up a fantastic point. Like having 
though having Dev, having Devin Askew committed, but also having BJ Boston and Terrence Clark, you know, not signed, sealed, delivered, but committed and and locked in. Like, I mean, that is that is absolutely massive for this program. And and yeah, Cade Cade's commitment would have one hundred percent been just icing on the cake. My comparison would be as a as a Laker hater. You know, I know how I sat and prayed really that Kawhi Leonard wouldn't go to the Lakers, <laughs> and and uh, but you know, obviously, if, if you look at it, and you know, you're talking about a potential dream team, maybe of everybody, but it's like the Lakers. You know, we we as people that didn't like the Lakers, we we kind of you know got a kick out of it when Kawhi went to the Clippers, but you kind of think, hey man. Uh, in the big scheme of things, they picked up Anthony Davis and they picked yeah. up some other guys <laughs> and it may be the best team in the NBA. So, you know, they, they they still have a potentially great team. And that's what I would say with Kentucky. Well, maybe you didn't get Kawhi Leonard, but in Terrence Clark, you know, you've got your AD and, and, and you've got a pretty good-looking roster, you know, ahead. Yeah. Real quick note before we, uh, like, start discussing anything else. Uh, somebody from – somebody texted me the other day. It was Monday, I believe. So it was before the before the turn uh, before the Cade Cunningham announcement. Said uh, I was told by Team Why Not people that they think uh, that they think Devin Askew goes to UK next year, regardless of what Cade does. So that may have been telling. Also, that may have been something in hindsight that may have been telling that they're already saying that, so they feel confident that he's not going to be there. Yeah, it was like they were trying to lessen the blow for you almost. Yeah, well, there's no doubt this certainly locks Askew up. I don't think the only I think maybe the only way that he wouldn't have been there next year if they had a got Cade and and you know, uh but but this this I think without shadow of a doubt locks him up or he's in Lexington next year. Yeah, if there was any if there was any doubt on Askew's part, I mean shoot now Calipari is going to go to him and say, all right, buddy, like you are going to be the the primary ball handler, go to player on the Kentucky Wildcats next season. We need you next season, not in two years. Like, there with that sense of urgency and not not necessarily a desperation, but like a that that sense of emergency, like that emergency aspect of like, all right, man, like we we missed out on Cade. You're the man. Like you got to step up to the plate now. Devin Askew is a competitive, competitive spirited guy and I do think that they would have been able to fit you know coexist next year I still I, I still think that that even if Kate had committed that Devin would have would have reclassified but with this like man to know that you can be the you know you could be the 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 leader of the offense I guess you could say next season at Kentucky missing out on your seat yeah is he going to miss out on uh, the McDonald's All American game and another Peach Peach Jam and all that, yeah, maybe. But like, so what? You're going to be leading a, a yet another top five Kentucky team next year. I mean, it just it is a dream scenario for Kentucky to miss out on Cade Cunningham if they're going to, if there was one to miss out on a player of his caliber. Caliber. Um, moving on to the other Kentucky targets and how UK will move for, move forward from here. Uh, we have a commitment next week, actually, re- ready to go with with 2025 star forward Isaiah Jackson. Uh, he's set to make his decision on November 16th between Kentucky, Alabama, and Syracuse. 
Now, David, uh, you have definitely been the most familiar with this recruitment out of the three of us. Um, have you learned anything else since the podcast last week? I know that last last week you um, you weren't one hundred percent certain, but uh, have you have you learned anything else over the last week? Well, I really haven't talked a whole lot with Wes, the father. I, I've been checking some outlets. I've been talking to some guys uh, uh, who handle Alabama recruiting a lot, just kind of get the feel of it there, and. They really feel like the uh, uh, the coaches there at Alabama feel very good about it. Uh, they feel like they're in good shape. Uh, and I know, like, from talking with, with some national analysts, you know, in particular Corey and some others, uh, they're having a hard time getting a read on it. Uh, I think the Alabama guys are kind of the same way, that they feel good from what the coaches are telling them. You know, we're going to see about last night because uh, I know Wes told me that, you know, they really felt like that the program was in good shape, but, you know, they lost to Penn. Uh, <laughs> not Penn State, so, Penn. No, not Penn State. <laughs> but, you know, that was one right there that uh, I kind of looked at with a, a new coaching staff, and Penn had a lot of, of, of players coming back. And uh, But uh, a friend of mine, we were kind of looking at some games, and, we kind of picked that as as one or two of the games last night where there might be an upset. Um, But uh, also uh, you're also looking at, at probably a uh, commitment uh, from uh, uh, Keon Hilton Hilton Ambrose. And um, he's a power forward as well. And I've been told by, from, from Corey and some others that if he does commit and he is very likely to commit to Alabama, that if that happens, it will not negatively impact uh, Isaiah Jackson's look at Alabama. And also, you know, Navari Burnett, that's another guy there that could very well commit. So they still are looking at a good class. But for, for people that are really kind of looking at this thing, they think it's just a neck-and-neck dogfight with Alabama and, and Kentucky and there's just not enough clarity yet to kind of figure out what he's going to do uh, and what that final decision is going to be, what's going to be. But uh, it does look like Syracuse, you know, is, is at best a very, very distant third. And, and this is going to come down to the two SEC teams. Now, Travis, I know we talked earlier and, and you said you weren't overly, overly confident in making an official prediction on Isaiah Jackson. And shoot, I, I really don't either. Um, but say you're John Calipari – um, and, and factoring in this Cade news and the um, the fact that UK's only front court commitment right now is Lance Ware, do you push for a commitment from Isaiah Jackson, risking uh, you know potentially risking Greg Brown going going elsewhere? I think Kentucky has a plan in hand for what they want to do at the big man spots. I think that there could be somebody come out of left field later on in the recruiting cycle. and But Isaiah Jackson, um, I, w- I would take a commitment from him because you're probably only going to get, like, one high-level guy. Um, but tell him, like, sell him on not having the stress of having to score here like a lot of bigs do whenever they come to Kentucky. He'll have the freedom just to rim protect and rim run and develop at his own pace and anything that 
that team gets from him is really extra compared to uh, some of the previous team makeups that Kentucky's had where uh, bigs were called upon to score. He's not going to be that guy immediately. Neither will Lance Ware. But uh, I can understand if there's some other players higher up on the board that they think that they can get. I think Jackson is replaceable. I think he's very comparable to Lance Ware, and you already have one of those in your back pocket. So I think that they can play this. I think Kentucky will be ecstatic, or not ecstatic, but I think they'll be content either way. Yeah, I think I think you bring up a lot of good points. Um, one thing I will say, I don't care how either of these players played in the preseason. I don't care. Um, I know Nick Richards had a pretty pretty – Pretty solid game last night in the Champions Classic, and we'll get into that later. And I know EJ Montgomery really didn't show enough to to make Kentucky fans all that confident. I really don't care how they've played to this point. Kentucky, I'm not going to say almost lost both of those players, but there was a scenario that both players could have left last year um, to the NBA, or yes, Nick Richards would not have been drafted, and he would have had to carve out his way. You know, carve carve out. You go through go through the G League process or whatever. Um, but there was a scenario where UK UK could have lost both, and I'm here to tell you the Kentucky coaching staff is operating under the assumption that they will have neither next year. They expect both of them to go to the NBA. Doesn't matter how the season goes. I mean, I, I think they returned this year operating operating under the assumption that they would both be gone next season. Or well, well you, said, next off season. you said they'd be gone, but NBA, do you mean internationally or maybe G League? Or Probably. I, I, think EJ, I think EJ would be drafted on potential no matter what. Um, you know, if not in late first round, but but mid second round. I mean, he he was a mid second round pick this year. He, I mean, there he said uh, in one of his his very first media media interviews afterward that after he he officially returned that teams in the late first round were were not just flirting; they were serious about him. But he said his ultimate goal was to was to be a lottery pick, and lottery teams basically said, "Come back for one more season, and you'll be a lottery pick." So he. Definitely operated on the assumption that he was going to be at Kentucky for one more year, no matter how it how it unfolded. And I think Nick Richards, I think he, you know, similar situation to, um, how oh, who was it? Um, I, I can't think of off the top of my head, but just the time, maybe winning Gabriel, I guess, would kind of be a good a good point where it, his time has kind of run his course. He's, I think, he is wanting to, you know, after this season wanting to explore his options and, and go, all right, I, I'm ready for the, to take this next step. And I, I think he, I think both players will be gone no matter what next season with Nate Sestina obviously graduating. So UK was pushing for another commitment from a big man this year for depth purposes. I mean, th- this year they were trying to get one more, which would have made four, four big men. Why? Why would they not want four more big men next year to replace the three that we're pretty certain of, and the one that they didn't get this year, this past off season, and and Folly Dante or Jaden McDaniel's those guys late in, late in the process. So my thinking is, you go to Isaiah Jackson, who I kind of I kind of equate to like a Marcus Lee of sorts, where he's not going to be an instant impact guy at Kentucky, but in year two, you know, year two he could be a pretty pretty high, highly productive player. I would go at him and say, look, yes, we are probably still going to go all in on Greg Brown, 
And, uh, you know, sorry, but I, I you know, I, I definitely think that, the, that if I were John Calipari, I would push for a commitment from him knowing you, you missed out on J.J. Trainer, so he don't, you don't have that in your back pocket anymore. Um, you don't know what's going to happen with Paolo Banchero or, um, you know, Greg Brown's up in the air. I, I would definitely go all in on, on him, on a, on a commitment from him. Um, now, speaking of Brown, uh, David, Eric Bossy actually said earlier today that UK was, quote, surging with Brown. Uh, put it simply, do you buy it? I've been trying to get in touch with Eric and, and talk to him uh, this afternoon just to text me back. He said, look, man, I'm sorry. I'm in and out. I've been on the subway. So um, I really want to see kind of where he's he's going with that because obviously he's heard something. You know, Eric lives in Kansas City. Uh, he's very familiar uh, right down that stretch through the Midwest, uh, through the breadbasket, through there into Oklahoma and into Texas. Uh, a lot of connections. So uh, there's something he's heard, and and uh, I, I can promise people this. He's just not saying that off the top of his head. Uh, I've not heard what it is, so you know I'm trying to find out, uh, hopefully – while we're on the show, he'll get back with me. But if not, we'll definitely let you know next week uh, what that is. But you know, he's like I said, he he's not he's just not saying that to, to waste breath. You know, he's there, there's something that he's heard. Yeah, definitely. And, and Travis, the, I, I, we talked a little bit earlier. I believe Corey yeah, I believe- Evans actually said something slightly different. What uh, about uh, about Greg Brown? What 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 was that? He said, um, essentially, he said that he would be uh, shocked or surprised. I forget which word he used if uh, Brown was to go to UK. Yeah, and I think he said Texas is the is the heavy favorite, or, or you know, the, he expects him to go to Texas, or whatever his phrasing was. And but if bar, you know, if if Texas has a a, a terrible season and Shaka Smart's jobs in jeopardy, whatever. Um, that Memphis was the secondary option for him. And, uh, you know, we got to give credit to Corey Evans for, for being being the guy that I, I believe recently he said in, in one of his weekly posts that if a Cade, commitment, a Cade Cunningham commitment happens in the near future that he expects it to be, um, he expects, expects it to be Oklahoma State. So while I haven't had uh, – any luck over the last week or so in, in getting anything from Cade. Obviously, he he heard something that made him confident. Um, I know Corey was um, you know pretty hung up on the idea of, of Cade's brother being at Oklahoma State. Obviously, that ended up being true. Andrew Slater said something on, along the same lines. But, uh, yeah, for, for Evan Daniels, who went, went all in on his K- Kentucky prediction on, on Cade, uh, Jerry Meyer followed suit. I think Chris Fisher, 24-7, Cat's Paws also did the same thing. Um, for for even despite the buzz, you gotta you gotta give Corey credit for kind of holding firm on that and and uh, yeah, David, I know you have a whole bunch of respect for Corey, so yeah, it's give give him credit where credit is due for sure. I lean on Corey a lot, but listen, I, I understand. And I know how this goes. I mean, I understand these are when you're talking about recruits and uh, it, it's highly, especially big time ones. It's emotional. Fans are invested, and I I understand totally that uh, sometimes people take it personally. They get upset by things, but 
you got to remember on the Kentucky side of it too, Corey was the one all along saying, look, when everybody in the world was saying Louisville, Corey was saying, look, Devin Askew's going to Kentucky. That's going to be Kentucky's point guard next year. And, and I mean, that's what just about everybody out there, as far as national analysts, for no matter who they were working for, were saying Louisville. So, you know, he's, you know, that's two that really come to my mind that uh, he's kind of uh, win, I guess, maybe against the grain just a little bit, but he's been right. One worked out for Kentucky and one didn't. But, uh, you know, like you say, getting given Askew is definitely a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the other pretty prominent name that has definitely caused some buzz over the last 24 hours specifically um, is actually 2021 five-star number one prospect in the nation, Jonathan Kaminga. Um, Kaminga last night was in Madison Square Garden for the Champions Classic. He was there to watch Duke, Kansas, and then uh, again to watch Kentucky versus Michigan State. Pretty pretty significant happenings over you know throughout his his evening at Madison Square Garden to start with uh he was seen you know shaking hands uh shaking hands with John Wall they they were talking a little bit at the game and uh you know you guys watched the game John Wall was just about as much of a cheerleader as you could possibly ask for 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 Kentucky last night so to to be on Wall's good side is definitely not a bad thing you know considering how much you know how much of a massive supporter he is as a he is of the Kentucky program um and then not long after, or well, actually, where he was sitting, um, Kaminga was actually sitting next to um, Khalil Whitney's family in the kind of the, the family section, which New Jersey connection there. I mean, Khalil Whitney played uh, at Roselle Catholic last year um, to close out his his high school season or high school career. And, you know, outside of Whitney's family, he also sat in the same general general area as Lance Ware, who is Kentucky's four-star uh, forward commitment for next year. And he was sitting next to four-star Kentucky target Cliff Omarui, who is, you know, all four of – or I guess all – yeah, all four of those parties are from the New Jersey area, and, and they were all there watching. So, I mean – it's not overly telling, but it's that I think that's pretty significant for for all of those parties to be sitting in the general vicinity and talking and 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 mingling with one another. Uh, Travis, are you getting kind of that same sense? Um, yeah, I mean it can't be a negative, but at the same time, these kids are friends regardless of wherever they go to college. So I don't put too much like I don't put too much stock into that. But yeah, it's definitely it definitely can't be seen as a negative whatsoever yeah absolutely and and to kind of take it even a step further um Kaminga was actually there was a, a, a picture that kind of leaked out that Kaminga was actually I don't know if he was in the UK locker room or around it but uh, he was definitely around it um there's a picture that leaked that he was actually back near the uh you, there was there's some fans online that were saying oh Kaminga's only here to to visit, you know, to watch Duke, and because he's favoring Duke, and uh, the sky's falling, we're never going to get a, an elite recruit again. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to buy all the hype after the the Cade Cunningham stuff. Um, but not long after that, there's the picture that leaked that he was with the, with the Kentucky. He, he wasn't seen with the players, but he was in that in the it, with the you know, players associated with the Kentucky program near the locker room with the biggest individual being none other than 
none other than John Wall. So uh, that picture was was got out there pretty significant. And then uh, this afternoon, he announced that he was cutting his well, cutting is a stretch. He was trimming his list to ten uh, with um, Kentucky, Duke, Memphis, Texas Tech, Auburn, Michigan, Florida State, Georgia, Washington, and Maryland making the final cut. And the one school that was left out of that, that it was a very, very, very sig- significant uh, loss was was LSU. Uh, now, Travis, why is that LSU, the, the lack of LSU's presence on that list significant? Well, I talked to somebody that is pretty close to the New York Rens AAU program. Uh, that's where Jonathan Kaminga plays. Uh, if you didn't know, and he told me a while or a couple weeks ago that it was LSU, Auburn, Duke, and Kentucky. The thing that was interesting about Duke was apparently they had an assistant. Duke had an assistant come in whenever, right before Jamin Brakefield committed to Duke, and told Kaminga in his camp, like, "Hey, we can't wait on you." Um, what uh, he said, "We can't wait on you," and that they were moving on, essentially. And then they accepted a commitment from Jamie Breakfield. But then, later on, it was said that uh, Kaminga's camp was trying to convince Duke that he would fit in with the culture there and get Duke back into it. Well, LSU has still been seen by even people around the AAU program as the perceived leader. And one of the guys that's close to the program today texted me and said, wow, that's like a complete shock to me. And my conspiracy theory in me wonders if they're really wanting Duke back in it. And Duke was like, all right, if we're going to recruit you again, LSU's got to be out if it's something along those lines. Because you just don't go from perceived number one, getting crystal balls to not even top ten without something happening behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely, and and w- I believe it was Andrew Slater put in a crystal ball for him uh, to to LSU, which was that he was kind of the first person to to say that. Um, and then not long after that, he he went on his Instagram page, I believe, and said, um, "No, those those rumors are false." Blah 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 blah. But man, the LSU buzz has been hot and heavy ever since then. I mean, it it is there's no secret that that that. That LSU was, well, his was seen as the leader, and a couple of people in his camp are apparently really close with Will Wade. So I'm trying to figure out where the disconnects at there. Yeah, I still, I still, I mean, reading all the tea leaves and stuff, and um, Cal Perry's visited Kaminga more than anybody. I think Kaminga's even came out and said that. It, I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing for Kentucky's chances. Granted, he could very well end up at Duke. Which would be horrible. Or somewhere else. Because, like I said, I'd heard that they were fourth behind LSU, Auburn, and Duke trying to get back in. So, Yeah, and Auburn is definitely a school that people people need to watch closely on that one. They, they have done a, a very, very impressive job building a relationship with him and kind of carving out uh, what his role would be as kind of the, the star, star of the team. Uh, David, I don't know if we've talked to you, I, I think – uh, since since you joined the show, I don't know if we've talked at all about Kaminga. Have you heard? Have you, you know what what is the latest in 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 the world of David Sisk in terms of of Jonathan Kaminga? I just well, this was going on. 
I just uh, sent a text out while you guys were talking and got to an answer back. And I talked to this individual yesterday and uh, had asked him about LSU. And, and this is not a, a name. This is a, a recruiting analyst who's kind of in on this, but not a household name that a lot of people would know. Uh, and I, I, uh, I asked him, uh, and it was really weird. I had no idea what it was coming out it was top 10, but I asked him yesterday about, uh, especially with Kaminga being up at, uh, at, uh, the game last night. I said, man, what's swell LSU that, that it really sounds like they're in good shape. And he says, I think they might be, he said, but I'm telling you, he said, I think he's kind of getting tired of people around him kind of putting out a narrative mm-hmm. of, of what he's going to do or who he's recruiting or who he's not. So while you guys were texting and uh, uh, I asked, I said, how did LSU not make that cut? He said, I just think that it's a, and I think when he says rebellious, he's just talking about basically kind of rebelling against maybe other people uh, putting words in his mouth. He said, but I think it's a case of a rebellious kid trying to change the narrative. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm just curious with the crystal balls coming out for LSU and all that. It, well, was that one of those things that didn't hurt them more than it helped them. And he was just like, look, I'll show you that uh, uh, you guys can't read uh, what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to let other people make decisions for me. Well, another thing you're talking about the narrative. That narrative was super strong because I mean, even we've literally just talked about Corey. Corey's done a fantastic job all spring with all recruitments across the country. Even he, him today, he posted on the national board on rivals and said, "I would be surprised if this was after he said I would be surprised if they get Greg Brown." Kaminga will likely reclass. UK will be a heavy contender of LSU and Auburn are in a better spot. And yeah, also said, and he also said Paulo will not reclassify. You know, you see every now and then sometimes a player will have somebody, or, or a, rather a, I, let me rephrase that, a school will be perceived as maybe a leader or one of the top candidates to get a player. But usually that's like when they name a top four, the top five, it's very rare because the top 10 is almost like a formality because when somebody says, when it releases a top 10, that's usually a kind of a laughing point. And people will say, so-and-so released the top 10. Boy, that's a shock. Yeah. You know, but this was a deal where a guy releases his top 10 schools and a team, like you say, who many thought was the leader, uh, they don't even make the you know the, the cut for top ten schools. I mean, you're only allowed five official visits. Yeah. So you're talking about a two to one ratio there, and they can't even make that cut. Yeah. The the timing was was very very interesting. But one thing I will say the the people around Kaminga are they they are pretty darn confident that he is going to go somewhere where he is not the the lone option. Uh, he does not have fun being double, triple teamed. Um, he he's the kind of guy that wants to. He he kind of sees it as a challenge. With okay, yes, I know I can go score fifty points. I mean, we have to remember that this is the number one player in the country 
possibly regardless of class. I mean, he's up there with Imani Bates in terms of, of long-term potential and, and star power. Yes, missing out on Cade Cunningham was, was a massive, massive blow to Kentucky. But you literally could not find a better response if, if Kentucky is able to pull this off. But, but the people around him think that he would almost see it as more of a challenge and, and, and kind of take more joy in the way Kentucky's recruiting him right now as a small ball four type player where you have Devin Askew at the one, BJ Boston and Terrence Clark at the one, at the two and three and Kaminga as the number, as the four guy, you know, six foot nine, 220, 225 pounds as being a, an off ball guy. Yes. He's going to score his, you know, 18, 20, 25 type, point, type points a game, but he's going to show you that he can go grab 12, 12 boards a game, that he can go pick up three or four steals, that he can go block you know, the, the two or three, four shots a game, that he can be an all-around player and basically give NBA teams zero doubt in their mind about him being the number one draft pick next year. They think that he, that he would be very, very well-suited with – it, with several star players alongside him, I've said on the podcast several times that he has talked about joining a super team at, at the college level. That he actually talked with Terrence Clark about joining a super team, and you know I've also said in the past about the the New Jersey connections and Calipari's connections to those guys and all the players that he's gotten out of there. I mean, getting LSU out of the race this early. When he's, I mean, somebody within the Wrens organization told me that he will not make his decision until the spring. They, they, everybody around him pretty much expects him to reclassify to 2020, but a decision is 100% not coming until the spring. He's going to take his time with it and wait until after, uh, after this, this high school season. So to get LSU out of the race, who's, who's seen as one of the top contenders and kind of leaving Kentucky, Duke, and Auburn as the the main choices. I mean, making that happen this early in the game. I mean, it's massive. That is absolutely massive. I think I think that this news today was was pretty significant. Um, yeah, very 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 interesting. Um, one one thing I will add is we we kind of brushed over Cliff Omarui being in attendance as well. Um, guys, are you hearing anything on on his front? Um, what you know, whether or not Kentucky's a still a legitimate option, or or what? Uh, David, we can go with you first. Yeah, I mean they're definitely going to be a legitimate option, but it's going to be a spring uh, situation. Nothing that uh, unless he just has a total hundred eighty degree change of heart. It's going to be something that's decided in the spring, and um, um, I, I think uh, as as this thing goes, Kentucky's going to show how interested they are. I think it was a big to me. It was big last night that uh, he was um, there. He was uh, at the game, you know, close to the bench, you know, kind of hanging around the players, getting to see the program because. It's like with all the unofficial visits they t- took over to fall that, and Kentucky was looking at some other places that uh, uh, maybe, no, I wouldn't say it parted ways, but it looked like maybe it cooled off just a little bit. But, you know, we've, I've been told that that was not the case, that they were still recruiting him strongly. It's just going to be a, uh, it's going to be a spring situation. So, you know, there's some time to go. They, they don't even, I don't think, start their season uh in new jersey i mean it's all like the first of december before they can even get started so i'm sure he's going to senior season he's going to put a lot of significance into that 
uh, a lot of focus. And then I would think after the high school season's over, then he'll really get serious about it. Travis, do you know, you know anything about Cliff? Um, no, it's kind of like the Isaiah Jackson recruitment for me. I'm not really super connected with him, but I do think that he will be an option at the end of the day and a serious option at that. And I definitely think that Kentucky wants him to wait until the spring as well. I think that would work out best for both parties. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it- he's not the number one option. You know, if Isaiah Jackson commits, he's going to do it first. And let's say he commits, uh, then you you never know where all. You don't even know how much how interested much more that they would be here. And and then who knows? Greg Brown could decide before then. So not only do you look at order of significance and a pecking order, but you also look at the chronological order of making a decision and you know he's not going to be the first one to make it so we have a much we'll have a much better read on on really who's available and who's out there who knows by the time march or april rolls around he could be a a uh, huge huge point of emphasis for john calipari much more than he is now yeah that's I a great the game i think the game plan could be see what isaiah jackson does either you wrap them up or you don't uh try to get a surprise big, someone that nobody's really expecting to be a part of the class, maybe lock up somebody out left field. Um, see, fill out Jonathan Kaminga and Greg Brown. Uh, both of them probably decide in the spring, like we've said, and see what see what's up with them. And then Cliff Amaruri is a guy that would be a fun project big because he's huge. He'd be he's your fourth big in this class, so you try to wait on him as long as possible yeah that might have been that might have been their argument with the whole jj trainer thing and and jj wanting to get that offer and 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 pushing for that you know kentucky might have said yes we are in great position with a project big you know because jj would have been a a multi-year player they could have said we can only afford one you know one multi-year project you know I, I think Isaiah Jackson's a two-year player but I wouldn't consider him a multi-year project I think he I, I think he's I mean he's a top 25 kid in the nation for a reason but they could have said you know we'll see who you know I Cliff played as well as I've ever seen him play you know to start the to start the EYBL season in the spring I was not a fan of his game at all I thought that he was way 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 too raw offensively to be a, a high level impact guy. And then I saw him, you know, late in, I, I don't think his team qualified for peach jam, but I did see him at the MBPA top 100 camp and he had, he kind of was, was slow to start the week, but by the end of the week, he had one performance that would just blew my mind. It was like, man, this isn't even the same kid that I saw in this in the spring. So if you could get cliff to potentially, you know, live up to his his potential. I mean, he is a very, very high potential type guy. Uh, just this season alone, have a phenomenal senior season. And, you know, that would answer the question for him. We, you know, he would still be a, you know, possibly a project, a project guy, but go all in on him if they miss out on Isaiah Jackson or whatever. So, yeah, that's a that's definitely a very, very interesting point. Um, like I said, I think that they are going to, be needing to replace all three of Nate, Nate Sestina and Nick Richards and EJ Montgomery. Um, and I do, I, I could see a scenario where they get Isaiah, Greg Brown, um, 
Cliff Omarui, Cliff Omarui, and then you go for a Jonathan Kaminga reclass, you can get all four of those 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 options in terms of numbers, not necessarily chances. But I'm saying you could make that fit given what what they did this this past offseason and, and how they were trying to mold and build this team. Um, well, that was a good conversation with with on that front. Uh, now let's move on to to what we saw last night on the current team. Uh, Kentucky pulled off a, a very very impressive six nine six two victory in the Champions Classic over Michigan State, uh, number one ranked Michigan State at that. Kentucky looked phenomenal. I mean, especially on the defensive end of the floor. You, I mean, that that was easily the biggest takeaway on my on my end. Uh, David, let's start with you. Immediate reactions to Kentucky's big big victory over Michigan State. Well, uh, it was big. I mean, anytime you beat the number one team in the country, it, it is. Um, like you said, I thought the defense was really, really good. I mean, they're smothering. They're quick. Gosh, they played with so much energy. I thought the rotations off ball screens were just phenomenal. Or this early in the season, I mean, it looked like, you know, they were in the middle of February yeah. with the rotations and – uh, now, there were some breakdowns. I, I, it was interesting. I uh, got a, a few minutes break this afternoon um, and uh, was wanting to just get the stats, print some stats off. You know, when he would talk about it tonight, and I, I looked ahead to Tommy Izzo's postgame quotes, and I thought I'd take a look. And Tommy Izzo was kind of upset. He said, look, we had wide-open jumpers, three-point jumpers at the end of the game. If we'd have made those jumpers, we would have won. Mm-hmm. And I went, kind of went back and looked, and I, you know, as we started out, I was I was looking at a video, like an eighteen minute video, and you know, they did have. I remember they did have some open looks, uh, but you know, that that kind of goes back and forth. But I think as far as Michigan State goes, they're not. I mean, you look at them; they're not the number one team. Yeah, uh, I think that was kind of before the injury uh, to to their wing. Um, Gosh, help me with the Langford. Name. Yeah, Josh, Josh Langford. Langford. Yeah, yeah. He's seventeen forty game score. They lost. And I think when he's there, obviously, it was like if 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 Cassius Winston could score, you know, where else were they going to get it? Um, and that was the one thing that kind of stuck out to me with them. I thought Kentucky did a great job of guarding. Uh, I look at the inside game, and I really thought that Xavier Tillman seven points and nine rebounds. <laughs> But if you would have told me, Xavier Tillman, they would have held him seven points, I would have said, okay, they got a chance to win this game. I'm not going to lie. We had to predict on Cats Illustrated. I picked Michigan State by three. Um, So I thought, you know, a lot of times we get on Richards and Montgomery maybe for the offensive struggles. But, man, they're both really good defensively. Mm. They can switch off the guards. They protect the rim. And I looked last night, Michigan State's bigs had 22 points, the three of them. Kentucky's had 18. uh, Michigan State, 22 points, 18 rebounds. Kentucky, 18 points, 12 rebounds. And you look at it and you say, well, they got outplayed by a little bit, but not by much. Michigan State always has an outstanding front court. Xavier Timmons good. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they held him. So I thought thought on the defensive end, I thought Richards and Sestina – and Montgomery were really good. And, you know, you look at Sustina. Sustina's playing big-time post players, and he wasn't a weakness at all. We wondered if he could guard in the post. He looked really good last night. Now, I, I go to the offensive end, 
And I think as the season goes, John Calipari is going to figure out what are our strengths, you know, who do we need to get the ball to. Uh, I looked last night, you know, quickly, really never got in the flow. You know, he jacked up a three at win in when the shot clock was running out. That's the only shot he made. Uh, Sustina, you know, he didn't get a lot of looks. I noticed when he was setting ball side ball screens, he was popping behind the ball. He was wide open a lot. The point guards never did look behind him. And, you know, he's standing out there wide open on the wing a lot. I think that they will run stuff and start looking at stuff. Hey, this is what we do well. This is this player's strength, and we'll start getting them a ball. So you can't go a whole lot by that. But but here's the thing. Uh, I know that all three guards look pretty good. But, you know, Tyrese Maxey's not going to have a night like that every night. And I hope that they can find some scoring in some other places because it was obvious – you remember, I, you probably did like me, when Keon Brooks shot the three <laughs> down there about a minute left, you're going, no. Oh, yeah. And I know that's what I did. And, you know, it's like I want Maxie to take every shot. That's the way he was playing. But that's the way that I think we, this team, when you look at it, they've got to, you know, quickly he's got to get in the rhythm. He, he, we, he didn't really look like that last night. Uh, Hagen's, you know, made one shot outside and then he struggled finishing, struggled finishing around the rim. Post yeah, kind of score a, a little bit. I think Sustina can. They just got to get him in situations to get his shot. So, you know, I think that's the thing with the challenge the ballot scoring. Who else can you get involved and how much can you get them involved? Uh, where you've got probably about four players out there who can put the ball in the bucket. So that's my whole take. You've got to find more balanced scoring. Absolutely. Travis, what what do you think? What I was surprised at was going, going into this game, I thought there was no way that Michigan State would only out-rebound Kentucky by four. That was a huge positive for me. Uh, Kentucky got a lot of help from on the boards from their guards. Uh, Maxie had five and quickly had five. I believe the final rebound stats were even. I thought that on this it says 37-33. Okay. okay. But I saw on another side it said even, but that said 30-30. This one says 37-33 total rebound. Okay. So, okay. Um, Tyrese Maxey is a dude that looks he looked better than he did in any exhibition game easily. Oh, yeah. um, he's definitely – in the mold of like Brandon Knight, Malik Monk, Jamal Murray, he's gonna get his. I don't, he's not gonna go off like that every night, like David said, but he can be a 16 to 20 point per night scorer. And he's a guy that you can give him the ball and he can go get a bucket. It says Nathan Steen only had six rebounds. It seemed like he had he grabbed every board there at crunch time. He was getting great uh, box out position and he even uh, protected the rim on a couple on a couple of plays. Um, another thing at the end of the game, in game scenarios, UK has three guards that are automatic at the free throw line, it seems. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. Maxi Hagen's quickly combined to miss two free throws out of 23, so they hit 21 out of 23 last night. And they and, follow up too, man. Yeah, they and there was no photo of the game. Line. I knew they get on the line. I knew it was going to be a rock fight. I didn't know it was going to be that ugly of a game where both teams shot. If you told me Kentucky shot 38% from the field, I was like, no way in hell that they would win. But 
uh, Khalil Whitney and Keon Brooks did good things defensively. They were kind of just out there on offense. UK was essentially playing four on five when they were out there on offense. Same with Johnny Juzang. Uh, Juzang didn't play didn't play very many minutes at all. Um, yeah, I thought Richards did some nice things too, especially uh, not having played played in what was it ten days or how long? Yeah, something something like that. At least hasn't practiced in in that long. And I thought. I mean, he only had seven to four, but he impacted the game a lot. At least just he was out there being active and around the rim and changing people's shots. He wasn't getting very many blocks. I don't know if he had, he had yeah, he had one block. Yep. And, yeah. But yeah, I thought I mean, like David said, Michigan State's not the number one team. I definitely I would go Kentucky. You know, I still don't think Kentucky's the best team in the country, but so far they look like it. Um Kentucky, Duke, Louisville was the top three, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. It's just me, but watching that game before, I thought Kansas was the better team between Kansas and Duke. It was just, how many ball. turnovers they had? 26, 28. Play record. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. You know, uh, Travis made a great point about their, their foul shooting, but they got to the line last night. They were 25 or 32 from the line. Michigan State was 13 of 18, so they had 14 more shots, and they made 12 more from the line. Those guards are so quick, all three of them. <laughs> they just put you in tough situations, spreading the floor out and forcing you to foul, and Maxi really just seeks contact. And the uh, thing is, those uh, free throw numbers are kind of deceitful because you look at you think it was probably an unbalanced whistle, and the there's only they only called three more fouls on Michigan State than Kentucky. So it yeah. wasn't unbalanced at all. Yeah. And one thing, too, I'd like to see them do a little bit better of, the rebounding. You know, um, you know, you said Sestina, you know, did a good job on the boards. But I look at the rebounds. E.J. Montgomery only had two. Nick Richards had four. The guards had a lot of rebounds. Quickly had five. Uh, you know, Whitney had four. Tyrese Maxey had five. I would like to – and what happens when guards rebound, then they can't run. Uh, I would like to see if it comes to the point where they have confidence, hey, if the shot goes up, EJ or Nick are going to grab the rebounds, and then you just got three jackrabbits out there on the floor that nobody can catch, and they can run ahead. But when guards get the rebound, now you got to go 94 feet. You've got to kind of walk it up, and – you can't push. I mean, can you imagine how good that backcourt would be out the open floor if the bigs get to rebound and then pitch ahead? Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, my biggest 100% takeaway was was with with the defense. I mean, Ashton Hagen's definitely led the way. Um, Cassius Winston being the national player of the year, he was going to get his points, but it was I was kind of more focused on how he was going to how he was going to get those points and how confident he was feeling. Um, I mean, the dude shot ten for eleven from the free throw line, and you know he was five for twelve from the field. I mean, if you if he was he was definitely going after the contact and trying to find the whistle. And, but I mean, if you take some of those some of those fouls away, I mean, that is a game that. That that really wasn't all that impressive, um, at least offensively from Winston. I mean, I thought I thought Ashton did a really really nice job, 
I thought Tyrese and Emmanuel, I mean, I, I think they both have the potential to be. It, it was it was so crazy because this defense as a whole looked as if it like looked like it was one of Kentucky teams going into the SEC tournament. Like, I mean, that they had that level of confidence and moxie uh, with about them that that they really truly felt that they could dominate and and overpower anybody. I mean, you remember that the one play in the corner when when uh, it, it was a little white dude. I don't remember his name on, on Michigan State. He caught the ball in the corner. <laughs> he caught the ball in the corner and tried to you know out you know power dribble against Ashton Hagens. And he was like, uh, yeah. Just kidding. This is not going to go well for you. And basically backed him into the corner, and he he stepped out of bounds and forced a turnover. I mean, that is the that level of confidence. I mean, just that leadership from from Ashton Hagens to to build on his already co. I mean, he was the co defensive player of the year in the SEC last year. Um, to have that this year to you know building off that confidence with. You know, Tyrese Max is a guy that's always pri- he's always prided himself on on playing defense. Emmanuel quickly definitely got a lot better as the year progressed on on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, Nick Richards, I mean, he was he was out guarding on the perimeter. He didn't look all that bad either. And for a dude that was playing on a gimp leg, he I mean, he literally two days ago we didn't know if he was even going to be playing, and he went out there on a bad leg and and showed a ton of heart, ton of effort. Um, you know, I know as as Travis said, his stat line wasn't all that great. I mean, he had his errors, he had he had his his slip ups, but I, I definitely thought that everybody responded well. You know, I thought Nate Sestina, he had some of his slip ups. He he responded well. EJ, um, I really need, I'm really looking for more out of him moving forward. But even he, you know, he he showed a lot of of, of promise on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, that was definitely my what what really made me confident moving forward. I've always thought Tyrese I've I've said all along that I thought Tyrese could be at a 20 point per game score throughout the year. Uh, I mean, he he is a he reminds me a whole lot of Brandon Knight in in terms of just confidence and in relentless shooting. The dude the dude wouldn't know a cold night if he saw one even if even if he was missing shots. I mean, he is confident in himself. Uh, you know, those shots late in the game when he shot it from, you know, Brooklyn. I mean, those shots were very confident. He, he had no hesitation whatsoever shooting those. So yeah, I'm I'm very very impressed with the with the backcourt specifically. I think that they lived lived up to their hype after game one as the the top top backcourt in, in in all of college basketball after after day one. Um, well, uh, go for it. Let me say one thing too. I'm excited about. Now this is going to sound crazy, but it's a coach coming out in me. Uh, I'm kind of excited about the next five weeks of mid-low major opponents. And let me tell you why. Because if you remember last year, they got killed by Duke in the first game, and they were playing really kind of nobody you'd ever heard of the next few weeks. And you you can imagine having to go through that if you're the Kentucky players where it's just boot camp and practice and you know you're you're not playing really anybody to get excited about, so you're playing against yourself rather than the opponent, and it's nothing but you know you're not going to lose, but it's nothing but getting pushed on every play and film breakdown and drills, and that's all it is for a month. And I, I call it basketball boot camp, and that's what they got coming up again. Now the mood's going to be a little bit better, but you know with practices going on every day and all the film study. And it's Eastern Kentucky, Evansville, Utah Valley State, Mount St. Mary's, Lamar and UAB and Fairleigh Dickinson before they play Georgia Tech on December 14th. But I'm excited to see how much improvement they can make 
over that amount of time before they play Georgia Tech, Utah, Ohio State, and Louisville before they go into the SEC schedule. And, you know, I think they can be, when they play, those can be a lot better team than they are now. And like I say, I'm excited just to see what kind of strides they can make in the next five weeks. Yeah, for them to do that, I mean, yes, we both, all three of us kind of mentioned that Michigan State probably, they definitely didn't look like the number one team in the nation, especially, you know, offensively. But I mean, I think a lot of that had to do with Kentucky defensively. But knowing the caliber of who Michigan State is, the, the just the confidence level and, and the talent right away. I mean, yeah, it 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 one hundred percent bodes well for what what we what we're going to be seeing in the coming weeks. Um, you know, I I don't I I do kind of worry that that they might get a little stagnant and kind of you know know that they are better on both ends of the floor than every team they face moving forward for the next month. Um, I know, you know the guys on KSR said today that they, they could see a scenario where they don't lose a game until January or at least late December, which, you know, that's uh, every, every team's due for a bad game every once in a while. But I mean, you look at the schedule and, and it's, it's definitely feasible. So um, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how they respond against the week, week competition, like you said, David, but uh Definitely nothing you can 100% gripe about, um, you know, be overly pessimistic about moving forward after that game. I mean, I think that was just a um, – that was a flat-out solid victory over the top-ranked team in, in college basketball. Um, and with that, I think we are right on time to, to get the heck out of here. Um, before we wrap this up, where can uh, – David, we'll start with you. Where can fans find you on social media and uh, where can they find your work? Well, Coach David Sisk on Twitter, and also uh, you can find me at Cats Illustrated. And Travis? You can find me on Twitter at Trav underscore Graph. You can find me, or you can find my my work alongside David Sisk at Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. You can listen to my complete sports podcast, not just basketball, recruiting, but um, all Kentucky sports and national sports, the Cats Game podcast. It's on iTunes and Spotify and anywhere you can find podcasts and it is on Twitter at CatScanPod with a K. And speaking of that, if you missed last week's episode of the Source Say podcast or uh, you just want to do us a solid, why don't you go and subscribe to the Source Say podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you can find uh, all, of, all of the major podcasting apps. We have you there. Please give us a five-star review. Subscribe to us. Uh, let us know what you think. Uh, hopefully all positive. Um, we would most certainly appreciate that. And uh, with that, we will be back next week for another jam-packed Source of State podcast. And we will see you then. Yeah.